Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is AJ Bat, and I will be your host. Welcome to Advanced Practice Weekly, brought to you by the London Advanced Practice Faculty. Today, I'm joined by a guest. Um, his name is Matthew Grundy Bowers, and he is a consultant nurse in HIV and sexual health. Welcome to the program, Matthew. Hello. Matthew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, where do you work and what do you do? So I'm a consultant nurse in HIV and sexual health at Imperial College. Uh, in London, based at St Mary's Hospital in Paddington. I've been a consultant nurse now for 16 years. And yeah, I work 50% clinically uh, with patients across HIV, sexual health and contraception. And then the other 50% is dedicated to research, leadership and education. Fantastic. So Matthew, you're in charge or one of your major roles within your education and leadership part of your job is around clinical supervision of new advanced practitioners and I guess are you also involved in advanced practitioners that are also going to become consultants as well do you have a hand in that type of transition of role? Yeah so we have a a, a large team of advanced clinical practitioners and trainee advanced clinical practitioners and some of those practitioners are sort of towards the top of their license so you know, we work with them and support them in becoming uh, consultants. So we've had, I think, just trying to tally it up about three of our practitioners who have gone on to consultant posts elsewhere. So yeah, we, we've got a good track record of supporting people uh, to do that. And some of that support is around making sure they've got their full skill set. So, you know, one nurse went off and did an NIHR clinical doctoral research fellowship uh, in order to get their PhD. Uh, uh, and then went on to become a consultant nurse. So yeah, we've got a good track record for that. Matthew, how many advanced practitioners do you look after within your department? So we've got 17 advanced uh, clinical practitioners who are, uh, or, or people training to become advanced clinical practitioners within their, in their, in their post. And we have a number of people working at the, the level below that, which are your enhanced clinical practitioners. So we've got, I think it's probably about eight or nine uh, working at that sort of bit before advanced practice. Okay, so it's, it's a reasonably um, large team then, I think. So just thinking about the clinical supervision provision for these staff members for their development through their master's programme and beyond once they're qualified, that, that, that ability to enable people to grow and build even post-registration is really important. What um, you, we spoke earlier about this and we talked about something called your strategic setup of clinical supervision, which I love as a title. And I just wondered if you could take me through how you have set up your clinical supervision or are in the process of setting up your clinical supervision within your department. Yeah, so we've had uh, nurse practitioners before we had advanced clinical practitioners since 1996. And we were the first department in the country to have advanced uh, well, nurse practitioners in, in sexual health and the role has grown and developed and sort of has sort of met the various different external expectations of those types of roles so you know, first of all is you know, becoming master's degree educated and now obviously meeting the four pillars of the multi-professional framework and so we've always had a model of supervision and the model previously was that you know every nurse practitioner was allocated a medical supervisor who was an associate specialist or a consultant and that you would meet them uh, every week or every other week and you would take notes and you would discuss cases with them. When I came back into post as a consultant back in 
2005, I realised that that model needed to really be strengthened. And so we, we created a more formal model where the, the advanced first practitioners would then keep a record of their supervision, what areas were discussed, the numbers of notes that were reviewed, that type of thing. But obviously with the launch of the multi-professional framework and then subsequently the clinical supervision uh, document from Health Education England, we sort of revised it. And we've got, as, you, as I've said, we've got a really large team now and actually expecting our medical colleagues to meet all of them every week for an hour you know, is well in excess of what capacity that there was. The other challenge is that the medical consultants, although they're fantastic and awesome, especially around the clinical development, don't necessarily understand the nitty gritty of the four pillars and the other expectations of people working in these types of roles. And so myself and the other consultant nurse had a bit of a brainstorm about how best to approach, how best to approach it. And so what we've come up with is that myself and her are the clinical education uh, supervisors for the team. And we'd sort of take half each and we see them on a, a monthly basis. So we, we see each of them once a month. So it works out that we have about 10 each. We then cover the overall direction of travel in terms of their sort of clinical and educational development. We check in with them in terms of courses that they're on or modules that they're doing. Uh, and keep them on track because we understand the broader landscape. I suppose you have a, a better awareness of the curriculum that they're following. So you can you can relate to exactly what's going on with them throughout their their transition or their or their journey on that master's. Whereas a, a consultant colleague, a medical consultant, probably wouldn't quite have that awareness of what, what's been going on through that period, would they? No, exactly. So I think that's quite important. You can relate to it, can't you, as a consultant and as an advanced practitioner? Oh, no, for, for sure. And having been through, obviously not the same programme, but a very similar programme a few years ago, I, I sort of understand what those pressures are. Some of they where they may actually face some challenges uh, around their development. So things like the non-medical prescribing is a is a beast of a module, and often people can really struggle with that because of the breadth of things that they have to learn. I know what they should know, so I can really steer them in the right direction, both having been through it, but also uh, knowing what the expectation is in terms of service delivery. Right. So how does how does this look on paper? So if, if I was going to implement a similar sort of strategy within my team, um, let's say I have 10 advanced practitioners and I want to organize my supervision with them, how would that look? How would I how would I organize it to start with? So what what we've done is I've worked with them because they each have a job plan and I've worked with them to make sure that I have structured time. So the first Monday of the month, I will have one the second Monday of the month, I'll have another one, uh, etc. And it works throughout the whole week. So I spread it all out. When I was working part time, when I was seconded to a HEI, I sort of bunched them all up. And it's quite a lot to do back to back supervision with people, it takes a lot out of you. So over the, the course of the month actually works really, really well. Uh, and means that I can really focus on, on what, what's going on for them, or what their needs are. So that's sort of the first sort of element. And that's you know, in the diary as a recurring event, we either meet virtually or face-to-face, -face, depending on what it is that we're going to be doing in that supervision session. And how much time do you put in with each person? So in terms of that aspect of the supervision, it's an hour every month. Okay, They, they get 
other types of supervision throughout the month. So they get a, a, an hour a week equivalent of supervision. But in terms of like touching base with me, it's it's one hour every month. That said, you know, I'm practice supervisor for some and practice assessor for others. So I will work with them clinically in, you know, on the coalface, you know, uh, teaching and assessing them. So it, it, it works out more than that uh, one hour often. And do you find in that hour it is what we, what I would say is proper clinical supervision? Do they come to that having prepared for that hour? Have they brought a caseload along of things that they have found either difficult or things that they have found interesting that they want to talk to you about? That they is it a process where you're enabling them to find the answers of the things that they brought to it, or do you find that they come to the clinical supervision with problems about their roster, about HR? So not really, because we have a separate structure. They have a line manager who isn't me, who they would have for their one-to-ones where all of those sorts of um, issues would be brought up. And as a consultant nurse, I, I don't have any direct operational responsibility for the team. So in terms of uh, approving annual leave and all of that, that is not part of what I do. So no, the focus is really on them, their development, what they're, you know, excelling at what they're um, struggling with and my prep for that session is that I ask people that they're working with how things are going so you know they'll often work alongside senior medical colleagues or senior nursing colleagues and I'll say you know how are they doing is is there any you know any concerns is there things that they're doing really well because I want to get a balance in terms of what we feedback and discuss The other thing that we have and we've had for a really long time is we do a notes audit and it's a really structured process of notes audit. We access database as senior clinicians. We review people's notes. We do eight sets of notes a month. We provide written feedback. So we know roughly, you know, what's going on in terms of where people's strengths are and weaknesses are in terms of their clinical practice. The other thing that we look at is the numbers of patients they see. Because obviously delivering a quality service is that, you know, you can give 110% to one patient and then leave 10 patients out in the street. So you need to make sure that you're able to give a quality service to lots of patients. It's really interesting, isn't it, by auditing the notes. And, and obviously they know these no- the notes are going to be audited when they start in the role. So there's an expectation that there's a certain standard of documentation. But I guess by looking at those notes, you get a sense of what's happening from from their side of the of the story don't you which is which is a really nice way of doing it I think do they do they feel like they're being checked up on or anything like that by the note audit or is it quite an open and transparent process it's an open and transparent process and actually they're involved in it as well so the way that it works is that the eights audit the sevens the sevens audit the sixes the sixes audit the fives and so everybody's involved in this notes audit anybody that's doing autonomous practice where they're seeing patients independently who are nurses within the team will have their notes audited including myself so for the eight we peer audit each other and then we audit the the the, the other members of the team and a cascade system now that's a really interesting way of doing uh, some some supervision on a slightly different level isn't it i really like that that's great but the way i've always thought about clinical supervision it was always about what you put in is what you get out of it 
So as, as a clinician, if I turn up to clinical supervision, I would have liked to have done some preparation to start with. I would have liked to have looked at some cases and bought some. Normally, I'd very rarely take good news stories along. It would be to go along with things that I've struggled with and found problems with because I want some help with them. And is that the, the type of things that you find with your clinical supervision? is an element of us doing that I think because the the structure also has they still link in with the medical supervisor so they each have a medical supervisor who's a associate specialist or a consultant the clinical stuff tends to get discussed in those sessions that they have with them I mean they do bring clinical stuff to me um, and uh, the other consultant nurse but it tends to be the other three pillars and stuff that's going on educationally and work-life balance and you know those types of things that we sort of explore professional issues um transitioning so transitioning from being you know uh, an enhanced practitioner to an advanced practitioner from being a student to being a qualified ACP it's those types of discussions that we tend to have and they're the ones that they wouldn't have had normally with their medical consultants because that socialization aspect of it that they the medical consultants wouldn't necessarily understand in the same way and do you make any contracts do you is there any sort of formal paperwork i would suggest um or, or think about for the for the for the process yeah so they um are expected to complete we have like a, a supervision form um which they complete after every session and what we have mapped in there is what national qualifications they're doing, what university modules or, or, or programs that they're on and where they're at with them and how well they're doing. So we can like look at a glance on, you know, um, October's uh, supervision sheet and see all of that information there. Because sometimes you, you miss it if you can't see it written down. I, I definitely miss things if I can't see it written down and then we do some objective setting for the next session so by the next session they would have done x y and z and we review what their um their plan was from last time so you, did you meet the things that you were supposed to do um or you were planning to do and you know if not what's happened how can we help um, you know, life happens to people so it's important that you have that degree of flexibility and openness and, and the other thing that they are expected to do is two audits a year. They're, they're expected to lead two audits a year. They can use other members of the team and work with them. And that's really good, having somebody relatively senior leading an audit and having more junior staff, including unqualified um, healthcare professionals, are being involved in audits. But they're expected to do two. So we, we plan that and we link those with national standards. So that fits in really nicely for them to meet their research pillar, doesn't it? It allows them to start to develop those skills in audit. So when they do come up to doing their dissertation in the last year, they can, you know, can do a service evaluation or something on that lines, can't they? They've already got it in their mind. And I suppose that's one of the things that if you're not on a prescribed MSc, which is going to end up being an advanced practice and you have to go down the portfolio route, these are the sorts of things they're going to want to see, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a when you qualify, you what you would want people to be able to do is to be able to execute uh, and lead an audit and have those skills to be able to do that confidently and competently and you know, make it you know worth its while. But also the other element of it is they need to present the audit. So periodically, you know, the audits that have been undertaken by the practitioner team would then be presented to the MDP. And so they're also developing their presentation skills, 
how to create a PowerPoint presentation. I tend to give them feedback afterwards. The ums and the ahs, the mumbling, the talking very quickly sorts of things so that they, they become a bit more confident. You know, often people feel very awkward about public speaking. So, you know, it is really important to that and socialise. And when we were thinking about the, the leadership aspect of, of the four pillars, the one that's probably one of the hardest for most people to meet, I think, if you're not working in a large multidisciplinary team, how do you manage that leadership? Is that mainly le- leading each other within your group? So we have a model for, the, for the, the nursing teams, which is that we have clinical education teams. So the team will comprise of a, of a band seven ACP a band six, then some either fives, fours or threes. So nursing associates, healthcare assistants or or staff nurses. And what they do within that clinical education team is do all of the HR leadership stuff, management stuff, but also provide some sort of clinical support and education for them as well. So again, it sort of maps to the four pillars and it really helps them you know, develop their skills. And I know that lots of people hate the concept of management and they didn't go into healthcare to be a manager, but actually it's a really important skill to have. And as you go further, you know, uh, on in your career, it's one of the things that people look for in your CV, even if it's a clinical role that you're going for, that you've had that managerial experience and that leadership experience. That's the, the first part. But the second part is around clinical leadership. So, you know, one of the things I really drive home to them is that, you know, you are a massive resource for the department. And, you know, people can come to you who are junior, both nurses and wider MDT as a resource, you know. So can you come and review this rash for me? Can you come and help me, you know, with this patient who I'm really struggling to get this, you know, health promotion um, discussion going? or uh, you know, th- those types of leadership, but also being on the floor and being able to say, guys, <laughs> we're finishing at eight o'clock and we've still got 20 patients to see. We need to step it up a little bit. So there's that, that I think that strong lead, clinical leadership is really, really important. And yeah, so I think there's those two elements. There's that operational management type stuff, but there's also that clinical leadership. Yeah, I think whether we like it or not, that we have to understand that in that, that leadership pillar We'd love it to be about clinical leadership all the time, wouldn't we, about us leading an amazing team of multidisciplinary people looking after a patient in an amazing way. But ultimately, there is some managerial aspects that come into it as well. And that and that that comes from, you know, things like Agenda for Change, where if you are an 8A or an 8B, you have to take on some responsibilities as well, don't you? So it, it's kind of, it's kind of comes part and parcel with it. So thinking about your your strategic setup at the moment so you, you've got you, you guys work as the kind of educational supervisors you've got your you've also got your consultants and um, your medical consultants who deal with a lot of the clinical stuff on the shop floor and seeing with the patients is are there any other supervisors within your mix that you use to to look after your advanced practitioners so the workplace supervisor aspect of it so often it will be that a medical consultant who they're allocated to but it, it could be anybody from the MDT where we've identified that there's um, some learning that needs to happen. So one of our consultants um, heads up all the stuff around domestic abuse and sexual violence. So we would often get her to work with the trainee or to have a tutorial with the trainee to look at those aspects on top of any other training that they would have. Working with a team of practitioners who do sort of health protection work. So 
working with young people, vulnerabilities, um, partner notifications, so that whole public health component. And so we would get them to work with peers, but who are experienced in a particular area. Same, we have, we have a gay man's clinic, and so we would often get them to work with the people that work in the gay man's clinic, even if it's a peer, because their knowledge around that particular area um, is much, much stronger. So we sort of, as a clinical education supervisor, we sort of guide them depending on where they're at with their learning and what things they actually need to learn. Great. So it's very much about hitting those marks within the educational process of where they need to be. Let's move them around the departments or remove, let's put them where they need to be for where they're at at the time. So that's really nice, isn't it? Great. So there, is there anything else that's sort of you're planning on doing with your supervision now because you've, you've kind of got a nice setup it seems to be working quite well you've got a set to, uh, you've got a specific amount of time set aside for your advanced practitioners we we've recently set up peer supervision every month they have peer supervision has been a bit of a slow burner because they didn't quite understand what it was and what they were supposed to get out of it and so I did some facilitated sessions with them in the beginning saying okay guys over to you this is your time to to provide peer supervision without providing the answers what I wanted it to be is from them to work out how they were going to structure it who was going to lead on it what that looked like in terms of how they met and what topics they looked at as a, as a group but it's working really really well and they really enjoy it because they get an opportunity sometimes to present and, and, and have discussions so they get that exposure in terms of presenting again and maybe developing knowledge and skills around a particular area in order to then present it facilitating other people to come in and do some group work with them so the peer supervision is actually although a bit tricky to set up has actually been really rewarding for them. Fabulous. So it sounds like the peer supervision has been a real hit then within the team. And I suppose it kind of takes the pressure off a little bit from you're not being supervised by by one of the bosses almost, are you? So you're being supervised by a peer. And I, I wonder if the feedback's probably more honest. I think it I think it probably is. I think they can be a little bit more vulnerable, but it also teaches them about supervision. So that when they become supervisors themselves, it's not like, oh, you've now got to learn this new thing. Hopefully by the exposure that they have to the various different clinicians, the different ways that you can do supervision, incorporate that into their processes when they qualify. The final bit that we are yet to implement, which we'll probably do in the new year, is that we're planning on setting up some action learning sets. They can come together in small groups facilitated by somebody that they're not necessarily directly being line managed by in order to look at particular areas that they are, uh, are finding a, a challenge and for everybody it's going to be slightly different so if some people may have very strong management experience so the leadership and, and management pillar they'll be completely okay with whereas somebody else maybe you know more junior and have come up to, to becoming a trainee and don't have that management experience and they may really struggle with that so it's about you know them finding you know what it is that they want to take forward and, and and develop. And having been part of action learning sets myself in the past, they're incredibly powerful at pushing forward your knowledge and your skills. I'm a great advocate. Yeah, and they're great for problem solving, aren't they? You know, getting put bringing together a problem and three people, three or four people to look at it from different ways and you know really brainstorming it. You can often come up with really in innovative solutions to problems and I think as well the other great thing about action learning sets is there are that there is that 
aspect of leadership within it. There is that aspect of research within it. So you start to pull out all those things within the pillars that we're always trying to hit within our portfolios, aren't we? So that's really great. Is the level of provision which is given to your trainees the same as to given to your um, advanced practitioners who are qualified and working within within your department? Yeah, so it is. What we have is that the our AAs have something slightly different, but below that has um, access to the same model. So whether you're qualified ACP or you're not, you would have the same supervision model. That's for a couple of reasons. The first is that we're not quite there yet with everybody being a fully rounded ACP. So the fact they have their masters doesn't necessarily translate to the fact that they meet all of the capabilities within the multi-professional framework number one number two a lot of them are still doing their national qualifications so these are specialty specific qualifications so they're still in that process of learning even though they have their master's degree and thirdly it's about them sharing their knowledge back so by being part of peer supervision or being part of an action learning set they have a wealth of experience that they can share with the trainees so it, it works really well as a, as a model to make sure that everyone feels really supported. I know that in other areas that once you qualify, sometimes that's it, off you go. Um, but, you know, healthcare is always changing. There are always new things that we need to be developing or new pathways. Uh, and so I think it's really important that we keep sort of supporting and nurturing people and also helping them get to that next step, whatever that next step for them may be. So some of our practitioners have gone on to work in HEIs and become lecturers and senior lecturers. Um, others have gone into education. Some people have left sexual health and gone into primary care. So it's about helping people manage that transition. Do you do any form of training for supervisors? So su- training for supervisors, supervisor training, training supervisors. <laughs> it's, it's, because this, this, is, this is an area that is lacking across the board, across healthcare. Everyone that we speak to, it's about, is there any training for clinical supervisors? Now, we know that you can do the e-learning for health module on clinical supervision. We know that there are standalone modules being done in pockets of, across the country. But is there any internal training done or is it just a part of the development process? So what I've done with our medical colleagues who may be workplace supervisors is provided overviews of the multi-professional framework, what the capabilities are, what the national direction is in terms of advancing practice, enhanced advanced and consultant level, and also the sort of process of direction for specialty. I'm involved in a lot of stuff nationally in terms of credentialing of ACPs within our specialty. I'm leading a project to deliver that, starting the pilot in the new year. And so it's like bringing them on board and making sure they sort of understand it. I think the biggest thing for people who aren't living and eating and breathing it is what is it that they're supposed to be able to deliver? And the multi-professional framework has been brilliant at providing that multi-professional view. But clinically, what does that mean for sexual health, HIV, diabetes care or that type of thing? So sort of making sure that when we're assessing people doing physical assessment or prescribing, we're assessing them at the level that we would want them to be assessed at and not, oh, well, it's good enough for a nurse. It has to be good enough for the patient that's going to be on the receiving end of it. And that's been an interesting journey. But we don't have a formal process for for training or finding educational format for for supervisors at the moment. But I know that's something that we're looking at at a trust level. 
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on Advanced Practice Weekly. Thank you so much to my guest, Matthew Grundy-Bowers from Imperial Consultant Nursing HIV and Sexual Health. Thanks for coming on the programme and telling us about your department. Join us next week for more advanced practice topics and we'll see you soon. Take care, everybody. Thank you.